I mean, this is a relentlessly seeking me out, stopping at nothing, pulling me out kind of love that beckons me back, even when I've done probably the opposite. I'm excited to share with those around me um, that freedom and that joy that we have in Christ Jesus. We all carry different burdens and we all carry different fears. And the one thing that we can rally around together is what Christ uh, did for us on the cross. One of the things I think of when I remember the cross is there was such purpose in why Jesus came. And that purpose was to offer me and all of us believers eternal life. And I think the magnitude and weight of that should do more than tip the scale. It should make me want to tap into the fullness of God each and every day. Will you go all in? Hey everybody, uh, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so good to see you. Uh, this is like medicine for my soul. I hope it is for you too. Welcome those of you over in East Hall and those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. Hey, please uh, remember to tune in to our weekly update. I give an update every Wednesday and that'll give you any changes that are going on because things seem so fluid. I want to remind you that next week we are doing our worship service outside and at, on Sunday evening, not on Sunday morning. And you'll hear more about that at the end of the service. All right. All right, let's go ahead and honor our local heroes. We thought it'd be a great idea to celebrate some of the people who've gone all in with us these last four months. Uh, people who are uh, healthcare workers and first responders and teachers and just ordinary people who have done extraordinary things. And these are just representatives of all the people that have gone all in for us uh, during this time. All right, so to introduce the heroes for today, You'll pay attention to the screen just to learn something about them. Hi, I'm John French, and I nominated Bob Kolar. I nominated Bob Kolar because um, when I thought of a local hero, he was not only the first, he was the only guy that came to my mind because he really is a hero. He, he's a firefighter by trade. Since he retired from uh, firefighting, He's just given himself uh, to anybody who needs him. During COVID, he went to Chicago. They were donating um, medical equipment um, for use. They were turning the McCormick Center, I believe, into uh, basically a hospital um, in the event that the number of uh, cases swelled such that they needed hospitalized. So he's just you know, constantly looking out to, uh, to see who needs help. Hello, I'm Jackie Allen, and I have nominated Stacy Baker for local hero. I know things about her that, of course, no other person does because I'm her mother. And I was a little leery about nominating her, and I thought, no, she deserves this. She deserves it. Well, Stacy is a preschool teacher at a little preschool here in Hudson. For many years, she's been there. She's extraordinary in her teaching. But suddenly, 16 weeks ago, COVID stopped all that for everybody, even four and five-year-olds. And uh, it broke her heart because there was so much more to come in the year. They'd only had five months and she thought, I can't stay home any longer. So what did she do? She went and visited the children. There are lots of tears 
you can imagine from the moms, excuse me, <laughs> the moms, the kids, and Stacy. But she also has a life at home that is not one that everyone has. Her husband of 28 years, Jim, has Parkinson's. She is his counselor, his shoulder to cry on, his comforter. Kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? She is his hero. She is the kid's hero, and she's my hero. All right, we have both uh, Stacy and Bob here with us. Uh, if you guys would come on up for just a minute. You gotta come over, come over a little closer. All right. Uh, thanks so much for uh, what you guys have done and the way you have done it. And uh, we want to just give you a little token of our love, Stacy. This is for you and Jim to go to uh, Gervasi's Vineyard for a little getaway. So there you go. And Bob, you need to know something about Bob. Bob's wife, Julie, is a nurse, so she uh, does all the heavy lifting. And Bob, you just, yeah, get the glory. But so we, are, uh, we have a gift certificate in here for Woodhouse Spa. That's for her. And then you get to take her to Rosewood Grill. So that's on us. So thank you. Thanks so much. Love you guys. All right. Thanks. All right. This is the third week of our three-week series that we are calling All In. The first week we talked about being all in with Jesus. That in the midst of a storm, we, talked in, we looked at Mark chapter 4. No matter how fierce the storm, and it feels like we have been in a storm these last four months, the safest place in the universe is to be in the boat with Jesus. Not in a boat next to Jesus, but to be all in with Jesus. And then last week we talked about being all in with each other. That the Christian life wasn't meant to be lived alone. It was meant to be lived together. And not just in rows like we gather in these kinds of services, but the Christian life was meant to be lived in circles where you get to see somebody's face and get to know them so that you can encourage them and spur them on to love and good deeds. Because when the rows are taken away, which they have been for most of these four months, we need those circles. And then today we're going to talk about what it means to be all in for Jesus all in for Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read this passage. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably Jesus' most famous sermon. I'm going to read uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. This is what it says. Jesus is speaking, and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word, and it's true. All right, there are at least three components in those verses that I just read. 
There is some good news, there is some bad news, and there is some big news. Good news, bad news, big news. Have you ever uh, had somebody come up to you and they say to you, I have some good news and some bad news, which do you want first? If you're like me, if I think that the good news will swallow up the bad news, I want the bad news first, because then I want to hear the good news that will actually swallow up that bad news. So let me give you the bad news in this passage first. When Jesus says that the world needs salt and light, he is telling us some bad news about our world. If I am uh, sitting at your house and I'm having dinner at your house and I turn to you and I say, hey, do you have any salt? Uh, It's not a compliment, but it may not be that insulting. But in the first century, if I turned to you and I said, this needs salt, I might be saying something totally different. Because salt in the first century wasn't primarily a seasoning, it was primarily a preservative. It kept things from rotting. Because there was no refrigeration and in the the heat of the Middle East, you needed to take something and salt it heavily so that it wouldn't decay. So if I'm at your house and I'm eating and I take a bite of something and I say, this needs salt, I may be telling you that what you serve me has started to decay and that it is ruined. When Jesus says that the world needs salt and the world needs light, he's saying something very basic about our world, something that we all kind of instinctively know, and that's that our world left by itself always moves bad. It always deteriorates. And if if you're my age, you know that's true of your own body. Like you have, your body slowly begins to fall apart. Everything in our life, everything in our world seems to be that way. You put bread out, it will slowly start to disintegrate and then it will fall completely apart. But that's not just true of physical things like bread and meat. It's also true of our relationships. Our relationships, if left alone, tend to pull apart. Even marriages. You know, when I do a wedding ceremony, these two people are so passionately in love. They're saying, listen, we want to spend every moment of every day together from now on. Right? And I tell them right at the end of the ceremony, say, listen, when you walk out of these doors, everything in the world is going to be trying to pull you apart. Don't let it happen. And those of us who've been married for any length of time realize it takes an enormous amount of work to stay close, even in marriage, because the tendency of everything in our world is that tendency toward entropy, to go from order to disorder, to start to disintegrate over time, which is why we have a, a marriage ministry called Reengage. And we invite people, no matter how long you've been married, no matter how close you are, how far apart, you should come to re-engage so that you can begin to pull together. And it's not just things that happen, and it's not just true of our personal relationships, it's true of race relations, it's true of politics, it's true of ethics. Our world tends to go from bad to worse if left by itself. When Jesus says that the world needs salt, he is saying something very basic about our world. And he also says the world needs light, which means that our world is in darkness. And when darkness comes, there is confusion, there is fear, there is a sense of 
lostness. It is the blind leading the blind, and you don't have to spend much time on social media to realize how true that is. And you spend any time on social media, you see that it is just full of fear and lostness and anger. And Jesus is telling us something about our world, but the good news here is that Jesus is not just saying something that is true of our world, that it needs salt and light. He is also telling us that that salt and light has come. And that brings me to the good news that actually swallows up the bad news. And the good news is this. Jesus says that salt and light that the world so desperately needs has come, and he's the one who has brought it. Now, I know that this says that we are salt and light, but before we can be salt and light, something has to happen. Verses 14 and 15, it tells us what we are like. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. When it says that you are like a lamp, a lamp in the first century was like uh, what we have as a candle. A lamp was a bowl of oil with a wick in it. A lamp wasn't the light source itself. It's not like the sun. God doesn't say, or Jesus doesn't say, you are like the sun, the source of light. What he says is you are like a candle. And like a candle, before you can be light, light you have to be lit. And so Jesus says that he is that light. In fact, in the Gospel of John, when John is introducing Jesus, this is the way he introduces him. In John chapter 1, verse 2, he says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from John, or from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about that light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about that light. Jesus in John chapter 8 will throw his arms out and say, I am the light of the world. That's what Jesus meant when he said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. When Jesus says he is the light, he is telling us he can tell us the truth about things. You walk into a room that's dark and you want to make sure you know what's in there. You turn on the light because then you see things as they are. Jesus tells us things as they are. First, he tells us something about ourselves that we all suspect, which is that we are not as good as we think we are. I think most of us realize that we, we want to feel like we are good people, but we can only feel like good people when we compare ourselves to certain people. If we compare ourselves to other people, we don't feel so good. So we have this, this basic suspicion that we are not as good as we should be, could be, ought to be. And then Jesus tells us something about God that we hope to be true. Even if you are not a Christian, even if you are an atheist, you know deep down, if there is a God, you would love for him to be the kind of God that Jesus describes. 
Not a God who is a cosmic killjoy, not a God who is trying to look and punish you for everything you have ever done, but a God who stands like a father waiting for you, longing for you, passionately loving you. That's what Jesus says God is like. And then Jesus gives us the truth about himself, where he is that demonstration of God's love. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he allows us to come back into relationship with God. And in doing so, Jesus becomes that preservative, that salt that actually begins to change us and helps stop the deteriorating process in our relationships with God and our relationship with each other. That's why when when people do come to re-engage, some people come and their marriage is doing very well. Some people come in separate cars. And when they come in separate cars, it doesn't matter. The first thing we give them is Jesus. We give them salt and light. And what we have seen is marriages that have been disintegrating begin to be healed because of Jesus. So Jesus says that there is bad news, that we live in a world that is constantly going from order to disorder. If left to its own, the world always goes from bad to worse in every aspect but that the world needs salt and light and he has come to bring that salt and light. And the good news swallows up that bad news. And then Jesus ends by giving us big news. And the big news is this, that when Jesus comes inside of you, that you actually become the salt and the light the world so desperately needs which is astounding. Jesus is describing what it means to be a Christian. And this is a very difficult thing because it requires a lot of balance. Let me try to explain what I mean. Let's talk about light. When you are light, it means that Jesus lives inside of you to such a degree that you impact the people that you're around. Imagine just for a minute what it would be like to have Jesus be at work with you or be in the midst of your friends at school, or be wherever you are. If Jesus was standing there, if Jesus was at your workplace, my guess is it would impact the way people talked over time. That people may not tell the same stories if Jesus was there. They may not gossip the same way if Jesus was there. They may not cut the same corners if Jesus was there. And it wouldn't be because Jesus would say, oh, I'm offended that you used my name in vain and walk away. It's just that Jesus' very goodness would impact. You ever been around somebody that is so good, just good, that it impacts the way you think, the way you talk, what you will do, what you will say. That's what Jesus says. He can come into you and become such a force inside of you that by your very presence, that when you are around people, that gossip looks like gossip and people stop. Racism looks like racism and people stop. Dishonesty looks like dishonesty, and it's wrong, and people stop. But listen, if we're going to be those kinds of people, the the reason I say that requires balance is if that's all you are, then people will feel like you are a wet blanket. They don't want you around. And so Jesus adds that last verse, verse 16, where he says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. 
When he says that, see your good works. That word good, there are two Greek words for good. One is agathos. And agathos is a word for quality. Like if this shirt was put together well, I could say it's a good shirt because it is the craftsmanship is good. But the other word for good is kalos. And kalos means beautiful. It means that something is good because it is beautiful and things that are beautiful draw us. They capture us. They make us turn and look and wonder. Every once in a while in our church, somebody will give a just because gift to somebody and give them a card at just the right time. And you can never kind of plan this. It just, God makes it happen. And the people who get that end up writing in and they, and they say something like this, I just never knew that people like this still existed. I didn't know something like this could ever happen to me. And what they're saying is what, was, what happened to me was beautiful. And I'm drawn to it. I want more of it. When we bring our Thanksgiving baskets, 1,500 Thanksgiving baskets to different homes, we knock on the door and we say, this is for you. This is a feast for you. There are some people who begin to, their tears well up in their eyes and they say, I didn't know that something like this could ever happen. I didn't know people like this exist. What they're saying is, this is beautiful. It's a beautiful work. Tony Campolo is an author and a, a speaker and a professor he wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is a Party. The Kingdom of God is a Party. And in it, he tells this story. He says he had flown from Pennsylvania to Hawaii, to Honolulu, Hawaii, to do a conference, to speak at a conference. And he had jet lag, and so he woke up at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And he was also hungry, which I can attest to that happens in jet lag. And so he got up and was walking around the streets of Honolulu looking for a place to get something to eat. And the only place he could find was a greasy diner. And he went in and sat down and got a donut and a cup of coffee. And around 3.30, the doors burst open and a bunch of prostitutes came in. And they were, it was like all around him were prostitutes and they had finished their evening's work and they had come to that diner to do the same thing that he was doing, just to eat because they were hungry. And a woman uh, came and she was right beside him and she said to her friend, she said, tomorrow's my 39th birthday. And the friend said to her, what, what do you want me to do? You want me to throw you a party? You want me to get you a birthday present? And, she, and this woman said, you don't have to be mean about it. I was just saying, I mean, why should I ever have a party now? I've never had a birthday party in my life. And when they left, Tony Campolo, he uh, talked to the guy who was the owner of the diner. His name was Harry. And he said, hey, do those women come in every night? And Harry said, yeah, every night. They're regulars. He said, what about the woman that was next to me whose birthday is tomorrow? And, she, and he said, yeah, she comes in. That's Agnes. And Tony said, hey, what do you think about throwing a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow? You bake a cake. I'll take care of everything else. And Harry called out his wife and he said, this guy wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes. And his wife said, oh, Agnes is so sweet. Let, you, you should do that. And so sure enough, the next morning, 2.30 in the morning, Tony gets there and he decorates with cray paper and he's got a big sign that says, happy birthday, Agnes. And uh, Harry had gotten the word out, so it was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes before Agnes got there. 
Agnes walked in and everybody shouted happy birthday and she saw the sign and the crepe paper and then she saw the cake and she began to sob. And she didn't know what to do. And Harry didn't know what to do. He just said, Agnes, just blow out the candles and cut the cake. And so Agnes blew out the candles and she picked up the knife to cut the cake and she stopped and she said, do I have to cut it now? Can I just let it be here for a little bit? And Harry said, sure, you you can take it home for all I care. And she said, really? I can just take it home? And he said, yeah. And she said, well, I live right around the corner. I'll be right back, I promise. And she picked up the cake like it was something that was holy and walked out and everybody was just quiet as Agnes walked out and went to put the cake in her apartment. And while she was gone, Tony jumped up on a chair and he said, hey, everybody, let's pray for Agnes. And he prayed a prayer for Agnes. He prayed that God would show himself to Agnes, that she would experience his love, that she would be cared for, and that he would make himself real to her. And when he finished, Harry looked at him and was a little bit hostile. And he said, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. And Tony said, and he said, what kind of church do you belong to? And Tony said, the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry laughed and he said, no, you don't. No church is like that. If there was a church like that, I would go to that. Yeah, I'd go to a church like that. What kind of church do you belong to? So what he had just seen was a a work that was beautiful. And something that is beautiful begins to attract us. And this is what I'm saying. So we want to be the kind of church where we are all in with Jesus, where we are in the boat with Jesus, where we are completely committed to him, where he's right in the center of our lives. We want to be a church where we are all in with each other, where we experience life not just in rows but in circles, But we want to be a church where we are all in for Jesus, where Jesus' life is in us in such a way that we become the salt and the light that the world needs, where we do works that are beautiful. We become a church known for works that are beautiful and that people end up asking you, what kind of church do you belong to? And you get to say, this kind of church the kind of church that does the kind of things that you look at and say, I didn't know that people like that existed. Tell me more about why you are the way you are. Let's be that kind of church as we are all in for Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you and you are worthy of everything. You are worthy for us to be all in with you. And I'm so grateful that you, uh, that you know, you have seen our world and you know what it's like that we go from bad to worse in every area except for you. That you have come to provide the salt and the light that our world needs and then you bring it to us and fill us in such a way that we can be that salt and light. So I pray that you help us to be that. Help us to be that preserving power in our world that begins to reverse the deterioration, that begins to help others love you and love each other, and that we would do works that are beautiful. Thanks. We commit ourselves to being all in with you and for you and with each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.